Your reality is spiritual. His truth is His truth. And if we can align with God's reality, we will finally be living by reality. Did y'all get a chance to play in the snow or just work? Thank you. Yes? Is it the same thing? The play is the work, right? I found myself, I wasn't going to tell this, but I found myself, I had been plowing. I have a four-wheeler, so it's total play. Plowing, and I was sweeping the deck, and I found myself out there just worshiping God for work. Isn't that weird? Is that the redemption of the curse or what? Just like so thankful. I'm thinking I get to be a husband. I get to be a father. I get to be a a deck sweeper and a plower. And, and I'm just like overflowing. Like everything I get to do, all the work that he's given me is such a huge blessing. Um, he knew. He knew that we needed blessing like that. We needed to work, right? So thank you, God. Uh, actually, let's, let's just pray again. Father, I just pray a blessing over this time. And I am fully expecting Um, that you are about to speak. I am fully expecting your spirit in this place, and I ask that that your powerful word would be establishing us as a people of your testimony, even right now as we listen to these words. In the strong name of Jesus, amen. So, um, let's see. So over December, we we, um, taught on peace, and then I'm not sure how this happens, but we immediately went into a, a series on disturbance. And I know some of you are crying out, uncle, like, can you, can you please preach on something else? Because it's, it's happening in your life. But you know the good news, right? Good news is in that. What? He only disturbs things, wrecks things, moves things, because they're shakable things. Because they're things that are not in alignment with the will of heaven. And so what? He shakes what's shakable so that what's not shakable will be the only thing remaining, what's in alignment with the will of heaven, right? So persevere. Um, For those of you that are crying, uncle, um, I'm pretty sure this is the last time we're going to preach on, teach on disturbance, okay? And we're only really going to start there. Really, we're transitioning already. Who's thankful for that? (laughs) Okay. Um, I'm going to start in Hebrews chapter 11, if you want to start turning there, right in verse 1. Um, and I'm just going to warn you, I'm going to go really fast this morning, okay, through several things. And if something's too fast and kind of does a flyover, just be a peace, just let it go. Because I know that there's one thing that we're going to conclude with that the Lord wants me to tell you this morning, okay? But in order to do that, we're going to lay a big, broad foundation for it. So, and, and um, you know me, just to do that, to, to lay that foundation, we're going to have to march through some stuff, okay? And so we're starting here, Hebrews 11.1. 1. This is a definition. It's a definition of faith. Now, you know that the just live by faith, Okay? And if that's true, then we, we better start with a good definition for what is faith. Now, before I even jump in here, I want to tell you that this verse, I've, I'm not sure I've ever dug so hard, like I went every single word for word looking at the original language because I kept getting surprised by what, it's really a terrible translation. And I'm convinced that it's a terrible translation because there's not, there's not really an English translation 
for some of the stuff that's going on in this verse. So I'm just going to start by reading it. Uh, Verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Now you can tell just by reading it, there's some strange language there. There's deeper stuff going on than meets the eye. So I'm just going to begin to break this down. Um, And I I just pray that this is a blessing. It starts... Now, faith is the substance. Okay, what's, what's substance? This word literally means um, set under or in submission to. That's what the word substance means. In other words, you're, you're living in a way, it's substance. You're living in a way that, that what comes next, what we're going to dig into next, is true about how you think or the state that you're in. Okay, substance, in submission to. So, in submission to what? Faith is the substance of things. Now, I've got to tell you about the word things. It's a terrible translation too. It actually translates as the business of or the work of or the things that go on. Now, of course, in this we're reading about the kingdom of God. Okay, so here, things are the work of or the business of the kingdom what is going on in him, okay? So we've got the substance of, so literally being in submission to the things, the work of the kingdom that's hoped for. Now let me tell you what hoped for is. It really translates to, to expect, okay? Just a, this could be a whole sermon and we're not gonna do that, but I just wanna tell you about biblical hope. It's not like, boy, I hope we don't get 10 more inches of snow today. It's not like that. Biblical hope is an assurance word. It's something that you expect to happen. That's hope. Biblical hope. Hope in the kingdom. You expect this. So what that statement say? Literally, it's saying faith is. You want to know what faith is? It is being in submission to the business of the kingdom that you have assurance or you literally expect that it's about to happen. Okay? I hope this is connecting to the last few weeks of messages. That How does he tell us to pray? He tells us to pray, um, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we expect that. <laughs> is it good so far? Okay, we're not even started. It goes on and then it says, the evidence of things not seen. Now, evidence is actually a good translation. Okay, so we'll leave the word evidence alone, but um, of things not seen. Now, rem- I want you to notice that the word things is there again. Okay, so, and, and please notice what we're saying is faith is the evidence of the business or the work of the kingdom that's not yet seen. Do you see that? How peculiar is that? Faith Faith is the evidence. How can that be? That before it's seen, before it is yet, your faith is already the evidence of it. Why? Because we're the people that are literally in submission to what, in a sense, we know is about to happen. Does that make sense? We're a people of faith. So we are a people that are literally expecting God at this very moment. The the will of heaven 
to break out, to begin to happen over lives that need it. We expect that. Amen? Now, even more peculiar, verse 2, it goes on and says, For by it, by what? By faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. That's a really terrible translation, even worse than the, the other. In, in other words, by faith, this is really saying the elders became witnesses, became witnesses of the testimony or testifiers. How, how did they do it? By, by faith, they became living testimonies of Jesus Christ, of the will of the kingdom. Okay, so that's faith. So we're all crystal clear now, right? You got a perfect handle on faith. <laughs> okay, I promise this will be my last story on disturbance, but we have to go here next, and then it's going to lead us somewhere. Um, you remember, I'm just going to put this out there in case there are those with us who haven't been with us during the series. Jesus purposely disturbs things. <laughs> in fact, you read the gospel, the entire gospel, okay? You're basically reading a narrative of Jesus going around saying, that doesn't align with the will of heaven, so I'm going to go disturb it. And that doesn't align with the will of heaven, so I'm going to go wreck it. And he goes around and he does this because God is ever trying to increase the kingdom. And that's true in your life, your family. He's ever trying to increase the kingdom that is within you and make you a carrier of the kingdom who deposits that peace wherever you go, right? Okay, this is a story of that disturbance of our king. This is in uh, Luke chapter 8 and verse 26. I don't hear any pages. There's got to be a lot of electronic Bibles going on. Here it says, verse 26, then it says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. Now I have to stop right there because um, it ties into what we're doing a little bit later, so I'm going to tell you now. That seems like a very insignificant sentence. The truth is that's very significant. In other words, he's leaving a place that is really uh, the Jewish community, okay? And he's purposely sailing across to the other side, to the Gadarenes, which is more of a, a Greek-dominated place than it is Semitic or Jewish, okay? And that becomes evident as we read the story. Um, but in other words, and I have to tell you, um, I have to give you some context. There are many places throughout the scripture where it says Jesus was not able to, to perform the miracles or do the signs or make the will of heaven happen because of the lack of faith among the Jews, among the areas where he's ministering. Are you all aware of this? Okay, that ties in to what's going on here. In other words, they are purposely sailing to the other side to a different community, a different group of people because he's going to make the will of heaven break out, okay? So in verse 27, it goes on. I'm going to read this story really quick because I don't want it to turn into the whole, our whole time. But it goes on and says, And when he stepped out, of the, um, out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time, and he wore no clothes. Nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice says, 
said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For it had often seized him and was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Look, this whole picture that was just painted, you have to know that the the community would have been consumed with this man. In fact, the evidence of what I'm saying is is in the passage. They try to bind him. This, This guy terrorizes the community. And he has the, the, the power of hell in him to where they, they, can't even, they can't even chain him up and be successful at it. They would, they would be in a certain type of fear or anxiety about this guy all the time. Okay? So if Jesus, listen, if Jesus was to come and do something in these circumstances, that would be a heck of a disturbance, right? Jesus sees something that is completely contrary to the kingdom of God, completely outside of alignment with the will of heaven, and purposely goes over in the boat and shows up to change the situation. Okay, so verse 30, Jesus asked him, saying, what is your name? And he said, legion, because many demons had entered him, and they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. I just want you to notice Jesus is not really talking to the man right now. Do you recognize that? He says, what's your name? And they say legion. Now a herd of many swine, that's part of the evidence that this is a Greek community, okay? You recognize they're, they're, they're raising pigs. <laughs> um, Jews didn't do that. They're unclean animals. So now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain, so they begged him that he would permit them to, to enter them. And he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. Okay, now, you, you, have, to, you have to stop and get a sense of reality to get where this is going to take us. You realize that this is, their, this is livelihood for them. You talk about a disturbance. Now, he, he delivers this man from a legion of demons, but in the process, he's completely disturbing the normal order of the way of their life. You see that? Well, we have families in here who raise cattle and um, probably who raise pigs. So you can imagine this would be something where, like, um, you've been working hard all year and all of a sudden, by the goodness of the Father, by an act of the love of heaven, your entire herd is wiped out. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's what we're seeing here, that kind of disturbance. And in verse 34, it says, When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Now, I want to give you a perspective here. I f- interpret it the way you want, but I firmly believe what they're doing is going in tattletelling. <laughs> okay? They're not going to be like, wow, look at the majesty of God. They're going to say, man, you should see this guy who is really causing trouble. <laughs> um, you should go out and see what's going on here. And it says, then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And I'm going to say that their fear is appropriate. 
they're already starting to sense that life for them was disturbed in a way where it's not going back. <laughs> yeah? Okay. And it says, um, they also, who had seen it, told them by what means he, um, let me read this correctly. They also, who had seen it, told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Do you see why that's a significant statement? I mean, who wouldn't be all in favor of healing? <laughs> but by what means is this disturbance happening? And it says, Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear, and he got into the boat and returned. In other words, a man is set free from, from a lifetime demonization that this whole community is familiar with and they see him free and healed and they ask him to leave. You know, there's all kinds of responses to the goodness of God. Do you know that? And it says, and now, now this next part is really why we're reading this. That's why I went through it so darn fast. But... Um, this next part, I think we usually skip, and this is really where that's going to lead us into everything. This is where we're going to focus this morning. Verse 38 says, Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. In other words, what? He found the Savior. He wanted to be with him, right? He has the right response to the goodness of the Father. Now listen what happens, though. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Today we're going to talk about, if it go, I think, if it goes at all according to plan, we're going to talk about stewarding testimony. Do you know that testimony is the most powerful thing that you have to join with God in disturbing things in order to bring it into the will of heaven. Do you know that? Your story. Your, no, your story of the love of the Father, of the touch of Jesus coming and doing something for you. That's what I'm talking about. Real testimony. Sometimes I'm disturbed where you'll have testimony time and people will tell testimony and, and um, tell what they have of testimony. I'm still scratching my head and I'm going, where was the great, where was the act of God in that? I missed it. You see, this guy has testimony. Jesus tells him, go back home. You know, sometimes back home <laughs> is the place where he means for you to take it. Sometimes he means for you to go to the other side of the world to take it. Um, sometimes it's the last place you think you want to be, right? You think this guy wants to go back to this community? <laughs> He'd probably love to go anywhere else in the world. And Jesus says, go tell what great things God has done for you at home, in your community there. Okay. I feel it very deeply to, um, to, to look 
intensely at what testimony is. Okay? And I'm just going to start with a, a dictionary definition. Okay? Do you know that the first definition of testimony, if you look it up in the dictionary, is actually a court definition? Um, if you're like me, you probably didn't um, picture that. I instantly think of the, they include religious definitions and stuff, but the first definition is a formal written or spoken statement, especially one given in a court of law. Now, I'm going to tell you something that we're going to see in the Word of God here, okay? Do you know that your testimony, when, we, when wielded as a tool, when wielded as the most powerful thing you have, makes testimony in the courts of heaven, it changes things and releases the goodness of God in the courts of heaven. And I'm going to show you this, okay? Uh, I think I'm going to move past that. No, okay, let's do this. Um, we're just going to lay a foundation for testimony. Go to Revelations chapter 1 and verse 1. Here it says, Naming the book, it really says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place, okay? In other words, things which have not taken place, at least not in full yet. And it says, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Now listen, I'm going to show you a pattern, okay? It says, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, to all things that he saw. I want you to see two things. Okay, what did he bear witness to? Two things. To the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now go down to verse 9, same chapter. And it says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, listen to these words now, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Do you see? He was on the island for this reason, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now skip to Revelations chapter 6, verse 9. I'm going to give you a bit of context here. This is in the middle, um, midway of opening the seals. Okay? In other words, opening the seals that's bringing about the finality of the redemption of all things. That's where we're at now. And it says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. And what were they slain for? For the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Do you know why the enemy hates you? Because you are the carrier of the testimony of Jesus Christ. You're the carrier of that which holds the power to disturb everything and bring it under the will of heaven. Revelations 12, 11 says, and they overcame him who the accuser. Okay, you know the accuser is also a courtroom term. It's, a, it's antidikos. Okay, so it's... It says that he accuses you in the throne room, in the courts of heaven, day and night. Okay? The accuser. It's a courtroom scene. And it says that how do you overcome him? You overcome him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of your testimony. 
and they did not love their lives to death. Okay, you see, in that village where Jesus healed that demoniac, the rest of the town loved their lives. They saw the goodness of God break out. They loved their worldly lives, I should say. They saw the goodness of God break out, and they asked him to leave. And now I got to go back. Do you know, don't miss this though. Jesus knew that there were people there who were going to be saved by the testimony, who were going to be disturbed right into the life of God. How do I know that? How do you know that? Because he sent him to do it. <laughs> yeah, his word never returns void. It tells us that too, right? So there are people there who are going to be impacted for the kingdom of God in that testimony. All right, here's why we're doing this. Revelations 19, and we'll start in verse 9. We're going to slow down a little bit here. Here it says, Then he said to me, write, in other words, write this, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true signs of God. And I fell, listen to these words now, and I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant and of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Now I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you your royalty. It's right here in the scripture. Your privilege in God's kingdom. Okay? I'm going to suggest to you that we can know for a fact that this is a man. This is a human. Okay, that he's speaking with in this revelation, in this interaction. How do I know that? First of all, he says, fellow servant. Second of all, it says, and of your brethren. Okay, so it's a brother in the family of God. And he says, who have the testimony of Jesus. Now, I'm going to show you in a minute. I'm going to prove it. I'm just going to put out there for you. Do you know that man is the one who is privileged in God's plan to be the carrier of testimony. That which disturbs, that that tells of the goodness of God, which disturbs the things of this world and brings it under the will of heaven. That's what you wield. That's your royalty. Now I'm going to tell you, in, um, I'm not even going to pull it up, um, but in 1 Peter chapter 1, and you can go read it somewhere, read in the ballpark of like 10 to verse 15, and you'll see that it talks about two things. It talks about prophets, the prophets of old sought and inquired to find out what you know, inquired to have the testimony that you have. But it was not yet, it was not yet, for the Spirit had not been given in that way. It also tells us that angels desire to look into the things that you have in this time. And it was what? It's not for angels. <laughs> you are the carrier of testimony, of word that has power in it that speaks what God does. So disturbance is good, okay, for those of you that are crying uncle. <laughs> Keep the faith. Do you expect God? I know there's disturbance. I'm hearing what's going on in your lives and things. Um, but 
But this is leading us. Do you understand we're to be a people of faith? In other words, what? We are a people of expectation. We expect God. It's not a hope like I hope it's not going to snow anymore. It's, it's a hope that says, I know he's going to do it. That's testimony, okay? Now, here's why I'm reading this. I'm going to keep reading on. I just wanted you to see your privilege, okay? Your royalty. Do you understand that, that of all the creatures that you read about in Revelations, angels and all the things that God created, he made man, and he said, man would be the place of my testimony. And just next, so the, the man that he's speaking to in this, in the Revelation, says, worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Is that odd? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? Now I'm going to show you this. I'm going to show you this. Um, but just notice right now, why, how does that make sense? Why would we say that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy? It's because of what we've been preaching for two, three weeks, okay? In other words, the testimony of Jesus calls forth the kingdom that we are to be manifesting. Do you understand that? Do you know why most um, movements of God, most new seasons, whether you're talking about the Reformation or revivals in the early history of this country or things like that, they always start as a trickle. They always begin like, like something begins to happen over here and there's rumors of it. And, and as it progresses, as God continues to move, it turns into a, a nationwide or a worldwide movement where there's an outbreak of the kingdom of heaven like's not been seen before, at least not in this nation or whatever. Do you know why that is? Because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now listen to me. Do you understand we can be a people that... Um, that are far more focused on lack, on what it seems that God is not doing, than we are a people, a culture, that is marked by the expectation that God is about to bust out in the impossible. Okay? You understand? That's two dip there's two radically different cultures. Somebody drop a pen. <laughs> we can be a culture that is all wrapped up in what is broken, what is missing, what we're, what we're still waiting for, for Jesus to implement, the pieces of the kingdom, the will of heaven coming, and we're just, we're just completely consumed with lack. Or we can be a culture of people that the Bible actually calls us to be, that the word of God and the Holy Spirit speaking in you calls you to be a people who are so wrapped in expectation, we're waiting at every moment. Like, oh, I know what this tells me is true, and I'm waiting for it to bust out. Like any moment now, I know that it's about to happen. The sick among us are going to be healed. The provisions we're lacking are about to pour in. I expect it. I live like the definition of faith that we started with. I live 
in a submission to the expectation of what I know God promises and he's about to do. You understand, one culture is the spirit of prophecy. It calls forth the goodness of the kingdom of God. It makes it begin to manifest in the spirit. And the other culture only ever shuts down the disturbance of God that he wants to bring about. Amen? I'm feeling like I better go ahead and skip a whole bunch. We may come back. Okay, I have to make sure I get to this. So go to um, 2 Corinthians in chapter 13. This is one of those scriptures where you probably, there's a good chance you've never focused deeply on it before. I'll admit that I haven't because it's kind of, um, it's kind of administrative part of the writing. Or so it appears, okay? But I'm going to show you something that I believe was revealed to me this week in my study, and it's, it's so powerful. So here in uh, verse 13, it says, this will be the third time I'm coming to you. So this is, just, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians, and you see how it's just administrative. He's letting them know, I'm, I'm coming to you. And he says, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I have to tell you, I think I have it right here. Yeah. In fact, okay, I'm going to mix this up. Um, You know me, we can't keep this too easy. Um, So go, um, can you, did I give you John chapter 3 and verse 10? Okay, that's okay. Okay. I'm just going to read this. Here, this is the encounter with Nicodemus that I think we did last week or the week before. And I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. Now, I want you to see how Jesus is kind of a crazy person, okay? So, in the conversation, Jesus answered him and says, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? They're talking about being born again of the water and the Spirit. And he says, Most assuredly, I say to you, we... Speak what we know and testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, do you notice he says we, we, and our witness? Okay, he's either a looney tune or he's completely in tune with the fact that he's one with the Father. Now, I want to tell you why he's he doesn't always speak this way, right? So I'm going to tell you why he's doing it here, um, and it's going to lead to where I had you a minute ago. Um, I don't think I gave you this either, and that's okay. In Deuteronomy chapter 19, we're, we're in the law, okay? You got this, don't you? And in the law, it says, One witness shall not rise against a man concerning any iniquity or sin that he commits, By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the matter shall be established. Now, that's their law. By two or three witnesses. Otherwise, it's not established. Okay? So I'm going to tell you that when Jesus is having this conversation with Nicodemus, he is testifying. 
okay? He's, he's witnessing to a testimony of the goodness of the Father and how things shall be. This, in his testimony is the spirit of prophecy. He's talking about how it will be. And in order to do that, in order for it to be established, it has to be the, by the mouth of two or three. So he's got to agree with the Father and the Spirit. Do you see that? Okay, so we can go back now. And I'll really continue with it this time. You got my word on it. And uh, here it says, This will be the third time I'm coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. Okay, so he's alluding to the law, how things are established. And he says, I have told you before and foretell as if I was present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before. Wordy, right? Track with me. And to all the rest that if I come again, I will not spare. Now here's why we're reading this. Really starting in verse 3, listen to the language. It says, Since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. Now stop and notice this, what's going on here. In other words, the people in this church are demanding of Paul a sign, a proof. Prove to us the spirit in you. Okay, and what does he do? He says, he says God's not weak towards you, but he turns it back on them. It's very important you see this. He says, but he's mighty in you. Do you see that? They're looking for the mightiness of God or proof of God in him, and he turns it back and says, God's mighty in you. You're demanding a proof from me? Now go on with me. Verse 4, it's leading somewhere. He says, For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. This is speaking of Jesus. So how does Jesus live? By the power of God. Now he is God, and he lives by the power of God. So how much more are you? And it says, For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Okay, how do we live? By the power of God. And then here it is. Put your seatbelt on. Verse 5, it says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Now look what he did. They're demanding a proof of him. And he says, they're testing him. They want proof of the mightiness of the power of God in him. And he turns it back on them. (laughs) He says, you better examine yourself. And he declares something true about them. He says, Christ is in you. The mightiness of God is in you. In other words, what's he really saying? Are you catching it? He's really saying, you want proof? You want a sign? He's saying, go out and make one. (laughs) Quit looking at me. The power of God is in you. Quit looking to someone else for the manifestation of the will of heaven, for the manifestation of the, for the spirit of God to be upon them. Look upon yourself. They're saying, give us a proof. And he says, go get your own proof. <laughs> Don't you know that Jesus is in you? 
Don't you know that you are the royalty of the family of God, the, the creature that God made to be the carrier of his testimony? The most powerful force on this planet to disturb things for the bringing them under the will of heaven. You are the testimony maker. <laughs> By his love over you, he makes testimony. And you take that. So two weeks ago, we talked about, we talked about Jesus um, sending out the twelve. And what did he say? He said, when you come upon a house, greet it and, and put your peace upon it and the prosperity of heaven. In other words, put the prosperity of heaven on that household. And if they receive it, unlike the people in, unlike the Gadarenes, if they receive it, let it remain. But if not, let it return back to you. Right? You're the testimony maker. You carry the testimony, the prosperity of God. Stop looking elsewhere <laughs> for where the power of God is going to be or where you're going to get it from. He says, don't you know that Christ is in you? You're looking at me for proof. You know, I, I want to... Um, I think I want to contrast this with two stories, okay? Uh, we just read that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Now, I want to make sure you have this when you leave today, okay? This is, this is so life-changing if you'll take it. <laughs> In other words, the testimony of Jesus begins to create a community that believes in such a way that the prosperity of heaven can begin to rest on it. Did that make sense? How does it go? Okay, so, so one person receives inner healing and the testimony begins to be heard by the community and people begin to say, God loves like that? I need some of that. And there's, the, there's a little bit of belief that he might want to love me that way. And then you hear more stories, right? That you hear the testimony of Jesus Christ and it begins to prophesy forth what God wants to do in a community. Does that make sense? I'm going to tell you a story. Um, it's actually a very general story, but last year, I think last year, we sent a ministry team. Uh, actually, it wasn't a ministry team. We sent a bunch of beautiful people, <laughs> beautiful, wounded, hurting awesome people, down to go to a training of inner healing stuff. Now, let me tell you that when we went down there as a team, we had no real incredible expectation of what God was about to do or, or what he's even capable of doing and, and that sort of thing. What happens is we get down there and we're immersed. We're immersed in a culture that fully believes has that expectation in the definition of faith we read that fully believes that God is all about the impossible. That God can heal what is so broken you, you can't touch this. Mangled <laughs> souls 
okay? And we get down there in a culture where every single time, once a week we're going down there, every single time you show up, you find yourself among people in a culture where there's an expectation, well, the only thing we know for sure about what we're going to do tonight is God's going to show up. They would literally use that language. And every single time, for those of you who are down there, just give an amen if it's true, every single time, God would show up. <laughs> Miracles, healing, transformation every single time, okay? And you do that for a year, and here's what happens. You come up here, and you suddenly have a ministry team that has a culture of expectation, that has a testimony of Jesus that is the spirit of prophecy, I know for myself, I don't know what the rest of them do. It's kind of like in hockey. You know, you have rituals. You can't wash your socks until you lose or whatever the, the thing. It's kind of like that. I know for me, when I'm getting ready to go into a care session with someone, it's just become tradition with me. Before I walk in, my last prayer to God is, I thank you so much for the miracle that you're about to do. And I know that he's about to do I know that he's going to love them. He never refuses to love people. <laughs> and I've just gone in with expectation like the definition of faith that we've read. And I'm going to tell this. Um, also last year sometime, I was um, dealing with uh, a family um, in which they were fixated on the subject of signs and wonders. Why, I don't know. I wasn't even preaching on it um, at the time. The only thing I can imagine is they picked up a nuance in the things that I teach that must have been sending a message that I really believe in God <laughs> or that I really believe in his active love in our lives today. And they must have just picked up on it because I wasn't even preaching on it. Um, and they were... He was having meetings with me, and he was just adamant. He was almost angry about, um, that's not today. God doesn't, God doesn't love. He's not active that way today. And he was adamant, adamant about it. Now, here's why I tell you this story. I'm absolutely certain in my spirit at the time, as I prayed and earnestly prayed for this family, like, Lord, show me how to minister. Show me how to... In fact, I was praying, Lord, I pray <laughs> that your love would bust out in such measure that it would just, it would be this disturbance that we're talking about, that it would just disturb everything, everything they've ever believed about how inactive you are in our world. And the Lord completely... Um, I was completely forbidden in the conversations to tell him about the miracles and the healings and the transformations that were happening in this church that week. I so badly wanted to, wanted to blabber everything. <laughs> All the good, it was an especially miraculous week. I've, I've come to be convinced that he's doing miracles in your families every week, all the time, even when you don't even know it. He's loving you. But it was an especially powerful week. And I was just exploding to tell him <laughs> about the goodness of God that week. And I was, he forbid me. I was completely forbidden to tell him. Because just as in the scriptures that you read where it says, um, where he heals people and he says, he says, make sure you don't tell anybody about this. You see, God doesn't want a curse to go on people's head. 
Does that make sense? I was going to talk a whole, uh, about a whole bunch of this stuff. In fact, you know what? Let's do it. Come on. I think we can do this if I have it here. Okay, do you know why sometimes Jesus says, he tells them, don't tell anyone. In fact, let's read one of those. Oh, I didn't give you these. You won't be able to put these up and that's okay. Um, in Matthew 9 and verse 29, if you want to turn there with me, he's healing a blind man, blind people, actually. And it says, then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, let it be to you. Okay, do you understand faith's not magical? <laughs> faith is, is agreement with God, right? I agree with you that you are calling us to pray that the will be done here as it is in heaven. Okay, I agree with you. And, and their eyes were opened and Jesus sternly warned them saying, see that no one knows it. But when they had departed, they spread the news about him in, in all that country. <laughs> so in other words, they were very disobedient. And you know, I, my heart goes out to them because when, <laughs> when something that incredible happens, how do you really, how do you be... Uh, quiet about it they'd have to form like a support group we're like okay guys we'll hang out once a week and we'll worship God because their eyes were opened <laughs> um, but but he's but he said don't tell them um, go to Mark chapter 1 and verse 43 and here it says and he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him see that you Say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Now, this was the healing of a leper. Now, look, this is completely different instructions again. Do you notice? He doesn't say, don't tell anyone. He says, go tell the priest, go show yourself. Why does he do that? Because it was actually in their law that when you're cleansed from certain things, leprosy being one of them, that... In order to be restored, you went and showed yourself to the priest. In other words, this is so important about your testimony. Now listen to me. Jesus will instruct you in how to wield the most powerful thing you have, your testimony. It's just like when we talked um, last week about sending out the twelve. You understand the first thing he said, his first instructions were to them were examine, inquire. In fact, the word actually means interrogate as to whether this is a household where it's good to stay, where the prosperity of heaven will be received, where, where your peace can be and stay there. Okay? Inquire. In other words, your testimony what you have of the goodness of God acting on your behalf is the most powerful thing that you have to wield as a weapon for the advancement of the kingdom. And Jesus will instruct you in where to tell that story. In fact, in where to, he says, comfort with the comfort in which you've been given. In other words, what? Just like sending the 12 with the peace. It's what you, you can only give what you've been given. 
okay? So the testimony that you have, do you understand? If you don't take anything else, take this. The testimony that you have is the power that you have to execute the will of heaven for others. Does that make sense? I don't think that's why I went to these scriptures. Was there? <laughs> I think there was a whole other reason for this. In fact, it tells the negative consequence when they don't listen. There in verse 45, it says, However, he went out and began to pro- proclaim it freely and, and um, to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city but was outside in deserted places and they came to him from every direction. So it actually had this like hindering impact. Their, their lack of obedience had an, a hindering impact. So, you know, I'm just going to close with um, rereading verse 5. And um, I invite you to take this word of God and make it a prayer this week. Okay? It says, examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Now, I don't think, if you look at the context here, it's not talking about examine as to like whether you're saved. It's really not the context. It's about this belief, this expectation on the love of the Father. That like, oh, you've got a problem? The Father loves you. <laughs> it's, about, it's about an expectation that the love of the Father is going to break out on your behalf. I believe it so strongly, I expect it. A culture of people who have experienced the love of the Father the, the acts of Jesus in ways that we take that into people's lives, to change people's lives, to bring about the will of heaven in their lives. And this says, examine yourselves as to whether you're in the faith. Examine yourself as to whether you are someone, whether you are someone who is in submission to the expectation <laughs> that the Father wants to act? Or are you more concerned with his lack or what doesn't seem to be manifesting that you read about in the Bible? Are you one who carries the evidence? Is your faith the evidence of something that hasn't even happened yet? For people. That's what the Word of God lays out for us. That's where the joy of God is. <laughs> and you are the privileged creature that He's planned to carry testimony. The Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ overcomes this dark world and changes people's lives. I better stop. <laughs> I don't want to, but I will. If you're certain that you want to be a people of the testimony,
of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ, and you can, stand up with me. I just want to pray for you. Let's start here. Is it okay if I pray for you? I know you're healing already, but we might as well pray. Father God, we just pray a special blessing in the name of Jesus, and we thank you that he's already healing, but we command that his ankle, his foot, is coming under the will of heaven. The cells are doing exactly what they're supposed to be doing the way it is in in your kingdom, Lord. And we just pray that for expedited healing in the name of Jesus, amen. And Father, we just lift a holy worship to you right now together in one accord. If you want to, just lift your hands up and worship him, okay? We just, we worship you that you have chosen us to be the carriers of testimony. You have chosen us to be, to be those that would wield the power of, of your goodness. Father, we pray that here in this place, you would be making testimonies that are the spirit of prophecy, that you would begin to, to manifest freedom and, and healing and blessing and filling in ways that are, that are the ways that your kingdom is about to break out in more fullness everywhere. Lord, that, that you'd be making that testimony here and that this would be a place in the spirit of your prophecy what you're about to do. And Father, I pray that, um, oh, I feel this, okay. Father, I pray in the, in the strong name of Jesus that you would be healing people who have been disappointed in their expectations in you because the enemy in the world lied. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would be replacing those places restoring a holy expectation that they know that your goodness cannot be thwarted, that no matter what situations have lied to them or created a false impression of your goodness, Father, I pray that you'd be restoring the truth about your nature, the truth about what you speak over them. And in the strong name of Jesus, right now in this place, you are making a people that are just full of the expectation of your goodness. People that will go and declare blessing over people because they are full of the expectation of your goodness. Make us a people of faith. In your name, Jesus, amen.